Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast in 2024. Yeah, Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year to you as well. I've been slacking a little bit on my jokes as of late, and I, and I don't think I've got anything stored for this episode, but I'm I'm hoping to come back and, and hopefully launch a bit of a comedy career in 2024. So stay tuned. Oh, I think we'll all find a way to survive for now. And that way to survive is listening to the awesome episode that we're bringing you today to kick off the new year. It's a really fun one. I had to hold myself back from making it about me and just talking with our guest about how her PhD learnings applied to me and my horse, but really, really interesting stuff today about biomechanics and horse rider interaction. Our guest does an amazing job of really breaking some things down and explaining them in a way that I've never heard them before. So I think you guys are really going to like it. And if you do, I highly encourage you to also check out the really awesome events we have coming up this month. So if you're in Ocala, Florida or Wellington, Florida, Ignite will be hosting two in-person evening seminars on exercise physiology for the Olympic disciplines. So these are going to be focused both on human and equine exercise physiology, the similarities, the differences, and our expert guests are amazing. They're going to present sort of short TED style talks about different topics all related from rider biomechanics and position on the horse and how it impacts the horse's movement, athletic training, planning, nutrition, energy, all all kinds of really cool things. So really, really encourage you guys to check that out if it's of interest to you and you're going to be in the area on January 22nd and 23rd. So we're in Ocala on the 22nd and Wellington on the 23rd for those two sessions. They'll be almost identical in the two locations. I think we're one, we have one swap out of speaker between the two, but other than that, they'll be quite similar. And we're going to have all kinds of great prizes, panels where you can interact and, and actually ask questions of our panel. And I think most importantly, have some takeaways that you can actually go home with and apply to your own training as a rider and to your training and management of your horses as athletes. So again, if you enjoy today's episode, I think it's guaranteed that you'll also have a great time at these exercise physiology seminars that we're hosting. So I encourage you to head to our website, www.igniteforequineathletes.com. Sounds like a mouthful. Just spell out all the words, no numbers or anything. Just igniteforequineathletes.com and go to our sport horse series and you'll see the exercise physiology seminars listed there and you can sign up right on our website. We'll also include a link in our show notes, so make it a little bit easier for you. Perfect. That was a really nice pitch there, Nicole. I like that. It was very well done. Hey, thanks. Um, so our guest today, and I'll echo Nicole's comments. I think you'll really enjoy this discussion. Dr. Eva Marinova is an accredited equestrian coach, a university lecturer, and a researcher based in the UK. As a practitioner academic, she enjoys exploring topics that relate to applied equine biomechanics and horse rider interaction. Eva has spent many years working internationally in the industry as a groom, a yard manager, and a coach before joining the academia. So she is passionate about making research accessible and relevant to the wider equestrian community. She splits her time between coaching riders and lecturing on veterinary physiotherapy and equine undergraduate programs, 
at Red Oak University College and also for the Masters of Science Equine Science at the University of Edinburgh. She has also recently completed a PhD in equine biomechanics at the Royal Veterinary College with a focus on the quantification and evaluation of movement asymmetries in horses with the help of gait analysis. Hi, Eva, and it is great to have you as our first guest to the Sport Horse Podcast in 2024. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. We're going to dive right in because I'm really excited for this conversation and we'll get to your research in a moment. But first, can you share your journey to actually going and completing your PhD? Because you spent some time working in the industry before going into academia. So you have a really cool perspective having spent time working with horses in a bunch of different capacities. So can you just talk a little bit about that and maybe why that encouraged you to go in and to complete your PhD? Sure. So, I mean, I'm trying not to use a cliche, but I was, you know, one of those typical horse mad girls ever since I remember. So, you know, I had a whole herd of toy horses that I would even launch around the room. That's pretty much where I started. And then when I was 12, that's when we could start having riding lessons in the Czech Republic, which is where I grew up. So my dad would just take me to riding school every two weeks. And that was like, you know, the highlight of my month. So that's basically where I started. But when I was at school, like having a career with horses and was not really an option just because again back at home the industry wasn't really developed and you didn't really have any equine degrees like you could do agriculture degree but that just had some equine stuff thrown in but not like a real equine degree so I was always good at school and maths (laughs) so I actually ended up doing a degree in economics of all things and you know that actually came handy later when I did my PhD because I wasn't worried about stats like most people you know if they want to do horses they don't really want to do stats (laughs) and for me that was like yeah I can do that that's fine so when I finished my degree I went to work in London for a year but then I really just didn't buy the idea of like going to the office every day and commuting so I went into horses full-time and I decided that I'll just get all my qualifications so I did the British Horse Society. I don't know if you guys know those exams. So I did my coaching and care qualification and then just never really stopped working with horses. So, you know, it took me around the world. I worked in England, but also worked in upstate New York. I worked in Tuscany of all places, you know, like (laughs) what a chore. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, when this sort of PhD came along, I just thought I'll give it a go, you know, because there's not that many equine related PhDs and funded ones as well that are available. So, you know, it really just fitted with everything I've done before that. Awesome. Awesome. And maybe just now, like if you want to just talk about like sort of, I guess the overarching theme of your PhD and was there anything that from your past that sort of informed like why it really appealed to you or like, cause I know you, like you do some coaching and, and you've worked as a groom and those types of things. Like as you're going through that period of your life, were there always questions that were popping up in your mind that like, you wish you had answers to or or sort of what was your like thought process as you, as you kicked off that PhD? Yeah, sure. So for this particular PhD, the topic was advertised. So I couldn't like change the topic, but why it was interesting. So my PhD was focused on the quantification and evaluation of movement asymmetries in horses. So basically we stick sensors or markers on horses and we quantify the movement to help us with knowing what's normal and how horses respond to pain. So mine was very much on the clinical side looking at lameness. And I suppose for me, what 
I've always been like really curious, you know, like wanting to know like why we're doing things. And I think that's something that you encounter often in the equestrian world that like we love our traditions and we sometimes do things because that's how we do them. But I think one of the reasons why I like the PhD that it was obviously evidence driven and just trying to advance our knowledge so we can advance welfare of horses. That's really, really interesting. And as Tim said, you spent some time as an instructor. So I know that that would have really developed your eye for how the rider's movements influence the horse's mechanics and vice versa. What types of things do you commonly see when you're looking at a beginner intermediate rider that tend to challenge the mechanics of an equine? The biggest challenge for riders in general is actually the dynamic stability that's required for being a what I call a good baggage <laughs> and coupling or decoupling the movement because it's actually really hard to do it well <laughs> because the horse's back, let's say, moves in three different planes. So if you think about be rolling like side to side, there'll be some pitching going on as well and some translation forward and back as well. And we sort of need to couple our movement of the pelvis, but also decoupling the movement of our torso so that our hands are, you know, stable in relation to the bit and not in relation to our body. So that's actually really difficult, even in for more experienced riders. So that would be maybe one thing. I mean, there is tons others, but that's just to give you an example. Yeah, it's so funny that you said that because I I was thinking myself, even as I thought of myself as a more experienced rider, sort of in my 20s, having having jumped some big tracks on some very kind horses. I remember taking a dressage lesson sort of at that stage and being really told to focus for the first time on the movement of my hands just at the posting trot. And that every time I was posting, my hands were also posting. And it was the opposite movement of what the horse really needed. And so I had to learn sort of later in life and later in riding to disconnect those. And then, you know, much later, Similarly, working with somebody that was very focused on mechanics of horse and rider, learning to use my seat bones independently as well. So I think that's really the hand piece, I think, is something that and disconnecting it from the rest of your body as a rider is something that I think isn't necessarily focused on enough. So I love hearing that. Yeah. And obviously you mentioned the seat bones and the weight as well. And that's like another thing, like actually awareness, like the first time when I, I went to Portugal for a short period of time as a working student at one point, and the first time I sat on a Lusitano that was well-trained, I couldn't ride a 20-meter circle. Like, we were doing shoulder in, we were doing travel, literally 20-meter circle, I couldn't do it because I was doing too much, and the horse was like, what on earth are you doing? Like, can you just focus, right? <laughs> and that's, I suppose, that's one of the other things, like, actually using the weight, or sometimes when I coach mm-hmm. my riders, you know, I'll come up to them and I'll say, okay, like, I know you're taught often like cues how to use your hands and legs, but we all have this bit in the middle that's called the body. And it's actually really important. (laughs) And where your weight goes uh, will be very influential. So often, let's say riders are not aware that they have more weight on one seat bone than the other. And then the horse will, of course, like try to rebalance. And instead of us fixing where the weight goes, we try to fix it with our hands and legs. So awareness of body and then that whole awareness of like how that coupling and decoupling works, like it's tricky. It's not easy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the next point in that too, is that when you're repetitively every trot step, every canter step, 
sort of interfering with the natural movement of the horse. It's they're going to adapt and coming back to your your research and your work, you know, that has an impact on asymmetries and soundness in the in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And once you actually say to people that every stride is a loading cycle, that's when the light bulbs really goes off because then you ask them how many strides do you do in a regular schooling session? And every stride you're going to be loading this side more or, you know, restricting the horse. And actually when you multiply that, it will add up and it will make a lot of difference. So yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I should, I should let you continue, but I, I just thinking about my workout in the gym this morning and there are some moves that are easier for me and harder for me, but if I do one move in bad form, my whole body can feel it. And so if I don't correct that right away, I'm quite super, quite quickly. So it's a really fascinating way of thinking about it, about each stride being a loading cycle. I really, I really like that in it. I mean, riding, obviously there is a lot that we all experience the laws of physics. We might not all have studied physics, <laughs> but if you've ever fallen over a horse, you definitely experience the laws of physics. <laughs> and also like how we control the forces in a saddle so again like you don't have to have a degree in physics in order to ride well but just understanding that by sitting on a horse you are exerting force on them and how that force lands in a saddle and how you smooth the landing in a saddle is also really important because again every stride is that loading cycle and it's actually really hard to sometimes even do rising trot correctly again if people land in a saddle without any control using their legs to like smooth that impact in a saddle that's going to make a huge difference because with every stride that horse will be uncomfortable and then of course what do we do we use our hand we use our not hands we use our legs or we use our whip to send them forward instead of actually again addressing the cause which is that you know you need to be more balanced on the descent on the saddle all really good points. I'm enjoying uh, sitting and listening to this conversation because it, it really comes back to, I think, the core of what good riding is and, and what good instruction is for sure. And I think it's a nice segue into the flip side. So if people maybe do improperly load a horse for extended periods of time, or obviously if uh, injury does present, then is it probably accompanying that? Uh, you've done a lot of work in this area that was part of your PhD. Can you give us a quick crash course on, because I know, I know you studied this, on how the horse's head, withers, the pelvis movements differ depending on if you have a forelimb lameness or hindlimb lameness? Because I think this would be really valuable for, for a lot of listeners to, to think about how those three different regions of the body will present given a forelimb lameness versus a hindlimb lameness. Sure. So... Again, linking this back to physics, you know, just like not every rider has ever gone to a physics class. Horses don't study physics either, but they can apply the laws very well. <laughs> so if they have an issue in a certain limb, what they'll try to do is they'll try to reduce the loading and they can do multiple strategies. So one of the strategies they can often employ is to reduce speed. That could be one of the things you might see if the horse is not as forward, you might be like, okay, why is he not forward? They're actually trying to reduce the speed because it decreases the forces. But then obviously you have the question about where is the issue? So there are certain strategies that have been identified as themes for how we can identify forelimb or hindlimb lameness. So we often look at the upper body. So that's both whether you're doing a visual assessment as a vet or a therapist, but also when we apply 
sensors or markers on horses, we look at the upper body displacement. So that's your dorsal ventral displacement, which is the up and down movement of the upper body, if that makes sense. And in a horse that's symmetrical or maybe not displaying signs of lameness, you would have a symmetrical movement of that upper body. So you'll see that upper body going up and down twice. And you're basically looking at similar lows and similar hills or, you know, maxima during the two halves of the stride. So what we often see in horses with forelimb lameness is that they will hold the head higher during the stance of the lame limb. So let's say if it's a left forelimb that they are lame on, they will reduce the displacement of the head. So they'll basically be holding the head higher during the stance of that lame forelimb, and then they'll drop the head lower during the stance of the other limb. So that's something that we often call the head nod. So you'll see down on sound, sometimes people use this term, you know, so you see the head drop down more on the sound limb, and then they'll be resisting that drop because that reduces the loading and acceleration for the lame forelimb. So we're often looking at the head for forelimb lameness, and then you can look at the pelvis displacement for hindlimb lameness. So again, similarly, you can look at the midline of the pelvis, so like where the sacrum is in the middle. And if you look at the horse from behind, you'll see how when they're loading the lame hind limb, they'll hold the pelvis higher during the stance. So they're again reducing that drop of the pelvis. So they're reducing the displacement and the forces. And then again, the pelvis will drop more on a sound hind limb. And sometimes you also see like push of asymmetries as well. And, you know, we don't 100% understand like what specific pathologies the reduction in the weight bearing or propulsion is with, but you can see either like reduction in the minimum position, or you can see a reduction in the push-up. So the pelvis won't rise as much after the lame limb as well. So in a nutshell. <laughs> no, that's really fascinating. And I often find a lot of the things that we've discussed so far, they're things that really advanced riders and trainers and veterinarians see and feel a little bit naturally. And aren't always able to then translate to the less experienced. And so I think you just did such a beautiful job explaining something, you know, as simple as the head bob or head nod, which everybody's seen a, a horse that's head bobbing lame, or as we say. So that was really beautifully explained. But I'm curious also, I think we have a lot of conversations about, you know, always examining the whole horse. And when you have a limb lameness, not forgetting about the rest of the body, especially when you're talking about rehabilitation. Do you have any tips or thoughts on this for the horse owners and trainers that maybe struggle with this bit a little bit and, and they find that a limb injury then causes, you know, it seems like the horse is unraveling a bit or like it's just one thing after the other and any suggestions for just sort of an overall approach when you're dealing with a limb lameness that then results in other pieces of the horse not operating as they should be. Yeah. So obviously just to like everyone, when you do my bio later, but obviously I'm not a vet, so, you know, I can't really advise on how to do any treatment and stuff like that. But of course we will see compensations somewhere else because obviously the horse, if we ask them to, they will still locomote. So they'll still move forward, but they might just develop other strategies, how to still do what we're asking them to do. So you might see some secondary issues. I think the best thing we can do as coaches and riders is actually just listen to our horses and notice when you see small changes, because often there will be a reason for everything 
that they do at every change that you see. So trust your instincts, like trust that you know your horse and follow it up before it starts being a bigger problem. Because of course, if they're going to be offloading one limb, they'll be loading another limb, maybe a bit more. They might be developing muscle tightness somewhere else, hypertrophies, atrophies. But obviously, if you can catch it early, then that's better than trying to deal with the bigger problem. And I think that's where the gait analysis really comes in because now it's so easily accessible. You know, you can easily put the sensors on anywhere on the yard. You don't need to ship your walls anywhere if you've got like someone in the area. And the sensors are like really easy to use. They're very accurate. And I think what we'll see hopefully in the future is if you know your horse's signature and you track them over time, that's I think where it adds the most value like you've got wearables for humans now like everyone has got a smartwatch like I don't but a lot of people do <laughs> <laughs> and you then know what your norm is like I know what my normal blood pressure is and it's slightly below like what a guideline is but I know I'm fine because that's my normal baseline so if we can have that for every single horse because you know what their signature is and you can track those changes over time I think that's what it really adds value really well said and I think that you hit the nail on the heads because like, I think that a lot of times like horses that can be really consistent in the way they move and then like you'll you'll hang out at stables and you'll see like the horse coming out of the stall one day and the rider will get on and say like oh like the horse is really resistant or it's really not wanting to do x or y right and they're like oh we just need to work it harder or whatever like but it's probably not like the horse is just woke up one morning and said like i'm going to move differently today because i want to try it out right so i think just trusting your instinct as you said and it's always better to take a step back maybe you lose one or two days of training if you're waiting for the vet or you're trying to figure it out but if you continue to push through it you may lose a couple months of training or whatever so yeah i think that's a really really good point Yeah. And it's so true, you know, because sometimes it's really difficult because those things can be so subtle. And even if you get your vet to come out and investigate, they sometimes can't quite figure out what it is. And I don't envy their job because they have a really hard job trying to figure out where the problem is. Often it's really subtle issues. And then, you know, how much money do you want to spend? How many needles do you want to stick in different parts of the body to figure out what it is? It's, it's not, easy at all so i think you know as you said like it's the best thing is to know your horse and don't ignore the signs you know even if you lose a day like okay maybe they just slipped in a field fine but maybe it's something else so you know having a good team around you of like professionals that can help you whether it's a saddle fit or whether it's a vet physio your vet coach that can just give you a second opinion that's really really important Yeah, that definitely seems to be a recurring theme with everybody that we talk to here on the Sport Horse Podcast. You know, your team and communication and everybody also listening to the horse and to the people who know the horse best are really, really key to keeping your horses happy and healthy. So I know you're working on some really cool research now and we can't wait to have you back to talk about that once you guys are ready. But for today, we have one last question for you and that's something that we ask all of our guests. And that's if you could speak directly to a horse and the horse could understand you, what would you want to tell them? Well, for me, that's an easy one, really, because I would just like to tell them how amazing they are. (laughs) Because, you know, we get on them and we ask them to stop and go and turn and distinguish between signals that are often like really similar, right? (laughs) If you think about a turn, a five meter circle, 10 meter circle, shoulder in, like the signal is actually very similar. 
and they still figure it out. They still somehow figure out how to understand our signals. So I think for me, rather than like telling them anything, I would love to be able to ask them why on earth they're doing it for us. You know, like that, that is the question I have. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. So with that, thank you so much, Eva. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really excited to, to have you back in the future to talk more. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. I think that episode was a great way to kick off uh, 2024. Eva did such a nice job of articulating the work that she has done. And I think the message overall was really nice. I love talking to people who have their time split between a, a few different areas of focus, and especially the, given that she's spending time actually going out and coaching and, and has boots on the ground in stables. I think that is really, really valuable. But just that overarching message about like how humans or horses actually move and some of the things you can be looking for. And it's such a common thing to say, but I think people often forget it. But like sport at its core is actually very, very simple in what we're trying to do. And I think a lot of times people make it a little bit too complex. But if you just peel back the layers and you look for just the very basic movements, typically if you have a little bit of asymmetry or some issues, even as you walk or trot your horse around, like that's just going to be amplified as you start to canter and as you start to jump or whatever discipline you do. So I thought she just articulated that really, really well in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's really going to stick with me about every stride being a loading cycle. I'm going to think about that, you know, every stride that I take on every horse, it's really impactful. So again, I think if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did or half as much as we did, you'll definitely enjoy our upcoming seminars. As I said, we'll be in Ocala, Florida on January 22nd. It's an evening session. It'll start at 5.30 and then Wellington, Florida on January 23rd. Same thing, 5.30, the doors will open. Everything will kick off around 6, 6.15. So definitely be sure to go to our website, www.igniteforequineathletes.com or check the notes of this podcast episode and we will have a link there for you as well. Tickets are $75 and that will include a buffet dinner. We'll have a cash bar and lots of great prizes, giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff. So we'll make it a really fun time for everybody and give you lots of opportunities to engage with our sponsors and with the experts that'll be there for their presentations and panels. So please, please check it out, share it with your friends. And you can find all the details, as I said, on the website. So if you head to the website, you'll find the answers to all of your questions. And with that, that's a wrap for our episode today. Thank you guys for listening, for checking in with us. And please be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen. That'll make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also share the podcast with your friends. It's the best way for us to spread the word and reach more people so that we can help other people keep their horses happy and healthy. And with that, here's to keeping your horse happy and healthy. Mm-hmm.